60. This is the Auto Week podcast number 60. I'm Rory. Um, we're not doing anything special for 60. Um, we're saving that for the triple figure. Third. Well, I was going to 100, but. Wesley's here. Hey. Graham's here. Hey. And Jimmy's here. Hello. Uh, we got a regular old podcast this time. Since Just we've done about 18 com- motorsport episodes in a row. So coming, coming down the old side of the mountain from the uh, Rick Mears, uh, Graham Ray Hall, uh, Jordan Taylor, Johnny O'Connell episode. Down to the regular dregs. You just got us. Got the, uh, the regular guys. <laughs> regular crew. Well, it's talking tough to live up to that. Cars. We are going to um, stuff. try to do one that you like. Um, but it doesn't matter because by the time you know whether you liked it or not. Uh, You've already listened to it. You already, yep, you already listened to That's it. And, the trick. Yep. Um, just joking. We want you to keep coming kind back of, for kind more. Of uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Graham's weekend hobbies. We're going to talk about Jimmy's weekend hobbies. Uh, we're talk about Wesley's weekend <laughs> hobbies. And then this we're is gonna, the weekend hobby po- episode. Then we're going to talk it? about um, the CT4 and CT5V, uh, which we saw revealed last week in Detroit, and which have caused no shortage of uh, consternation among the internet guys. There's been a lot of uh, a are, lot of talk about it. People are mad. Betra- people feel betrayed. Actually, they feel they feel let down. Um, one thing that I would uh, recommend to all those folks is um, you can't feel betrayed when a company does something that you don't like. Uh, that's they're not there to make you happy. That's not what companies do. But I do think the Cadillac thing. Uh, we're going to be very happy with the way this all shakes out. So this is like a, there's a good redemption narrative coming. Um, Which we'll get to in about 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, so Graham um, is into old cars. Yeah. Uh, and I thought initially that maybe he was into old cars in like a fun way. Uh, but it, he's not. It, he no, is it's all, becoming a problem. Yeah, he's yeah. all the way. He's gone from like, a, oh, it's just a quirky, cool thing to do. Drive an old Packard to just being a AACA guy now. Yep. Which is also cool. In the club. Which is cool, but in a whole different way. Than so, I yeah, the, the weird thing is I'm the I'm like the token old car guy on staff. Um, but I think we're the, all kind of old car guys. On I'm the like staff. the token like, old guy. R- yeah. Re- yeah. Restore yeah. old car. Yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. in the AACA stuff that I do, I'm the token young guy. So it's kind of a weird thing. Found a, but found a youth situation. Yeah. Do, do they yeah. call you Two junior? World. Yes, they do. It's nice. Very endearing. Uh, so um, you you actually good. went to uh, judge yes the uh, AACA meet in Auburn. Well, kind of. So this is actually the second year I've done this. Um, I was judging for this uh, this program that they have called the Zenith Award that's been running for three years now, mm-hmm. and I won't get into the intricacies of the AACA. And as as Wesley pointed out, I should mention that's the Antique Automobile Club of America. Mm-hmm. Of course. But basically, they have a series of um, meets of different sizes and tiers across the country. And you're not really competing against the other cars for the um, recognitions that they give out. You're kind of... It's like competing against the other owners? Yes. In uh, actually physical combat. Is how they break the ties. Hell yeah! Um, is it just hand to hand, or yeah. is there, or the no weapons? hand to hand? Okay, it's uh, it gets weapons. real. Yeah. So, things to know about the AACA is it's any car twenty five years or old rolling is accepted. So it's a super and that's wide, new, right? 
Because no, I think so it, I could it's join. always yeah. It's, it's really okay. it's always been so in the classic car club. Now what is it called? The uh, CCCA. Now they that have, is the one that has the rules about. Yes. Yes. They have a set of cars that have been deemed classic and, that's and worthy. A very rigid, um, almost entirely, with a few exceptions, pre-war list of cars, um, mostly like big coach-built cars. Um, AACA. It just has to be twenty-five years old and uh, stock. It's it's not a modified car club. That's their. That's their uh, the one thing. But other than that, you know, you can what show up. What about like a period modifications? N- um, well, that gets murky because I do do coach work. Yeah, there's or coach built cars. It's supposed to be how it was done the day it was produced. So my Willys that has uh, it's totally stock, but it has aftermarket turn signals that were probably if you were having it be judged like you can join the club it's no problem but if you're actually submitting it to be judged they would ding you points well i'm not going to join the club unless i can win well, the thing. maybe not the right club i guess i want to join the club it actually seems kind of cool and yeah. i actually know some people who are in it um in the events are awesome i've been to a bunch of them yeah i mean i'm a member now but i have no intention of entering a car like it's just a interesting well you interesting group to be in but what i was saying is before we get yeah okay else, Basically, if, if you enter your car and you're going for a junior or senior or whatever award, you're uh, you're trying to you're competing against like a point system basically. Mm-hmm. So in theory, if ten really nice cars show up in a class, they could all they could go all home win. with the award. Mm, that's uh, it's ironic that the uh, I guess know, well, it's like that's supposed to be like a well a young person thing. Like you a, have to be a trophy. Uh, I guess avocado toast. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I'm pretty sure they've been doing it since 1935. Mm-hmm. That way. That's very interesting. But you have to be that was... basically you have to be within a certain number of points of the nicest car there. Oh, to get the award. So it's so like hypothetically, if ten people brought uh, really nice cars, you could, they could all win. But if nobody brought a particularly nice car, if everybody brings junk. Everybody yeah. would still win. Uh huh. That's so, strategy. We should do that. We we could we, we could, could find a really of, we could find a no because see you're going to be competing oh, against be nicer the, Willys. You got to uh, find a car that nobody else is going to have. The Hoffman, uh, what's uh the X8? Hoffman X8? Yeah, yeah. Although that's in pretty good shape, so it's the only one too. Um, I think. Myron, we get Myron on it. We'll have to ask him about that and see. We can totally game the system yeah. and just roll. Get, we can roll get the, the Zenith awards. Yeah. Well, so the the whole and thing that about comes the, with a cash prize, I'm sure. Well, bribes mostly. Uh-huh. Um, well, actually, they have to pay us under the table usually. But um, that's that's why the Zenith award thing is different. Whereas the other awards that they give out or rec- like recognitions would probably be a better way are uh, points based and okay. you know. This is kind of their way of uh, giving out awards in a competitive sense. So they, from every, from eight meets around the the country throughout a year, they pick the two best restorations. Could be any car, and they, uh, sorry, they pick the the best restorations from each of these meets. And at the end of the year, they end up with sixteen cars that they feel that these AACA judges represent like the best restorations they've seen. So. Mm-hmm. When I went to the Grand National Meet at Auburn, end of May, Auburn, Indiana, uh, it was everything from a 1903 Cadillac to like a 73 Bronco. Hmm. All super well restored, but all competing against against each other, right? So we were picking from that the best 
single rest, restored car there. Uh-huh. And yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a slice of how wide that range of cars that can be in the club are. I mean, obviously you could have a 25-year-old car, um, but to have everything from like a 03 Cadillac to a 73 Bronco with a Ford uh, Skyliner and a, a Pierce Arrow and a Dual cool. Ghia, yeah. Chrysler 300C, 57 Man, Cadillac. Gia. It was like everything... It was a great slice of uh, kind of that side of the hobby. I yeah. Mean, as far as the nicely restored cars go. It so was what's a really the scene good like there? Is there like a is there a big party scene? Is it how does it compare to like indie or grid life? Or, um, or well, yeah, because grid life was the same weekend. Same weekend. And yeah. uh, we Jimmy see, said uh, hello from grid life, and uh, that's, that's probably about the opposite. Tried to tried to lure Graham there. Yeah. To the party. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it was not the same. Yeah. Um, I would say um, no. But what is it like? Tell me about who's who's there. Uh, Four of the guys. Is it owners? A lot of spectators. Yeah. So there was a. It was on the grounds of the RM um, Auburn Spring Auction. Mm-hmm. So there was like a good group of people just coming in to look at the cars. Mm-hmm. Um, owners, uh, not really surprising, but tend to be on the older side. Um, in a lot of cases, the cool thing was in more than one owner, the car that they brought. And that had made it to the Zenith Award thing was the car that kind of got them into the hobby when they were a kid. Uh-huh. So one guy was working at, a, I think, the Chevy dealership, like in Louisiana. And, you know, every year back in the day, they'd pull the covers off the new models. And he was working at the dealership as a kid when they pulled uh, the covers off this 58 Chevy. I think it was the 58 Chevy. And he followed that car for like four decades until he was finally able to buy that car and restore it. So um, for a lot of these guys, this is like a lifetime attainment type thing. Like mm-hmm. They've been really into these cars and they might have other cars that they drive, but these are like their trailer queens. As they'll, as they'll tell you, they're like, yeah, I've put a lot of effort into making this one just as perfect as I could. Um, just because... In a lot of cases, they have a really personal connection to that specific car. So, and when you say that car, like you're talking the guy from Louisiana, you're uh, not talking like a 1958 no, no, Chevy I from like that serial number. That, yeah, yeah, that car he saw. Yeah. So, which is kind of mind blowing that there were more, there was more than one example of that. Uh, yeah, that's insane in this group of sixteen. But that just goes to show how much people care about these. Um, but ultimately, after staring at door shut lines and Panel gaps, hood panel gaps. Panel gaps and toolkits and stuff um, for probably like six hours. We Is this the right uh, glove box liner material? Pretty much that. Like the stuff that I never thought I would actually be doing as a kid. Because uh, I always thought it was weird that people cared that much. Um, Can you walk us through what that's like? Because I, I imagine most listeners here oh, haven't, sure. haven't ever judged a car, let alone been to... This is really quite the build up to the the big winner here. Um, but yeah, so you're you're looking at these cars and at this level they're all really 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 nice. A lot of effort's been put into restoring them. So you're trying to you're trying to figure out which car is the most um, excellent technically when it comes to the um, details of the restoration, but also what's the most correct. So like is it how it would have been when it was new? Was it that way when it rolled off the assembly line? And that's where it gets tricky because, you know, you can make these cars more perfect than they were when they were new. You know, these were ultimately, in a lot of cases, mass-produced goods 
um, like a 73 Bronco. They made a couple of them, so they weren't paying attention to every single little detail. Well, and it or was somebody's uh, just job, right? Like Monday yeah, exactly. they went in, yeah. and they built a Bronco. But even even drink, like drink the, at lunch, the dual Gia. No, they never did that. They never did that. <laughs> Don't disparage the line. But uh, the dual Gias were pretty much junk when they were made. Like they were beautiful, but they were like handmade, slapped together, lots of lead, you know. So when you're restoring one and you're pulling all that off, it's like, well, is that over restoring it to do the metal work the correct way? I don't know. So but it, that's a good question, though. Is it, like, so it's not really a question of. It's not really a question of. Uh, sorry, I just playing with my microphone here. Of restoring the car correctly, it's like making a, a version of the car that is very nice. Right or like, I, is it encouraged to over restore stuff? Because like, like you said, dual Gia is one end of the spectrum, but um, you know most cars of the '60s and '70s, American cars, European cars of, of uh, various extractions, uh, they're built to a price, not a standard. Yeah, or um, they were mass produced. They were exactly. built to a volume. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and they just the shut lines are not right, or. You know, they they had to get a car out the door, so there's yeah, some overspray here, and I don't know. I mean, something like hey, the the door shut, didn't it? Yeah, something exactly. like uh, something like overspray. People do try to replicate, mm-hmm. um, and people do go as far as uh, putting the chalk marks back on the firewalls and stuff. Stuff that again, I used to think was really kind of weird when I was a kid, um, and people were that obsessive yeah, I mean, about it. it. Is weird. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I not it's, bad. It's, it's, it's not bad. It's, I guess it's really bit, fascinating. I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying. I. I don't. I, I think the weird. It, the weird thing is bizarre. you can, you can tell. Um, it it almost does seem too perfect um, when you when you look at a car and so, it's been. So that's a question, though. There, I mean, there are certain events um, where that the originality of it or the correctness yeah. of it is more important than the niceness of it. I think there's. Yeah, and that's that's something that I think this uh, this group in particular is kind of struggling. Well, not struggling with, but it's a debate because when it was all coach-built cars, you could get away with restoring it to a really high standard sure. because conceivably... Um, that's what the car should have been. Right. Uh, now that we're into the era where even guys with early 90s cars can show up mm-hmm. to these meets, uh, how do you restore, you know... Uh, I mean, I saw like a Mustang too, not a not an early '90s car, but like there was a Mustang too on the show field that was really, really nice. And it's like, it almost seems like not a real car at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't There's know. No I, way it was that nice now. I think the hobby is kind of shifting. Like over restorations were probably a bigger thing 10, 15 the years 2000s, ago. Yeah. It seems like we're kind of getting more comfortable with imperfect cars, which is good. Well, I think um, making a car accurate is harder than over restoring. Yeah, yeah, and in a lot of sure. cases, it's it's um, that's a totally nebulous concept. It's impossible to do because yeah. like you you you're a master at that point, so you well overspraying like doesn't how, make sense to you. Well, or also, how would you like misalign the door panels? Exactly. Yeah. Like, your job is to make door gaps perfect, not. Yeah. So it, I don't know. That's and a, how would you know how they were like <laughs> in exactly. real? Like if you were really trying to get to the original, like how would you know the way that the specific way that they are misaligned? Well, you start working at it at three <laughs> o'clock on a Friday, yeah. and you got something else to do, and and you got to be somewhere at five thirty on a Friday. So it's uh, it is a, an interesting question, but I think part of the way you can look for correctness is like 
you know, maybe making sure that the body's hung as well as it could be, um, but also making sure that not everything under the, the hood is glossy black paint. You know, uh -huh. it could be as simple as that where stuff That's, that, you know. Like some like I'm personally restoring a car now, so like uh, in in my under the hood area, there's some gray primer, there's some silver paint, because I found I could only have silver paint in the garage that day. Um, is it raining outside? It's a monsoon. Oh, it's You're so listening like, to a live know. monsoon at, a, that at is, the Auto Week let's headquarters. Just give, <laughs> let's just give everybody a little taste of that. That is very soothing. Yeah, everyone just took a nice deep breath. It's like those rain sticks. Let it yeah, out, people. Slowly. Slowly. That is, that is yeah. an aggressive... I, you know what? I bet my minivan's going to get hit by another tree today. Uh, <laughs> would you be mad, though? No, I, no. I came home Tuesday and I got hit by a tree. And well, fingers crossed, man. Or wow. yesterday, yesterday even. Yesterday, your yesterday. your real car got hit by a tree too. Just I don't want to talk about that. No, let's talk about it. We'll talk about that later, <laughs> and later in the show. Okay, uh, I can just imagine this uh, rainstorm thing. People are driving down the freeway, listening to the podcast, and just hearing this and kind of drifting <laughs> off to sleep. So do thing. Oh, they they turn their wipers on by accident. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, do you ever have those rain sticks where you would yeah tilt them upside like down? That. Is that soothing? Yeah, sound? yeah. There's yeah, a reason they nice. call them that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I I guess. The car that we ultimately gave the award to does kind of answer a lot of these questions about uh -huh. what is over restoration. You know, what it, what is that? Um, how do you weigh two cars? What do you? What's the most authentic versus correct versus over restored? We ultimately gave the car the 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 Zenith Award to a 1931 Buick 894 Sport Roadster. Um, that was what I was going to guess. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody in this room probably knew that before even knowing the list of cars that were going to be there they're like david m landau's buick's got to be there oh and it's, it's gonna david's win. car yeah oh yeah uh, no, uh mr landau that is, is what a i call nice him. car it uh when you saw it it was definitely one of those uh greater than the sum of its parts things where mm -hmm. it just looked incredible when you came up to it it almost had this like presence to it um and Again, being a car of that that vintage, there's a lot of um, massaging and obviously a lot of effort went into the design and creation of all the parts in the first place. So it's kind of a playground for restoration, um, which is, I think, a lot of time why these older cars tend to win awards at like Pebble Beach or whatever, just mm -hmm. because you take a car like this, even though it's a Buick and not like a Pierce Arrow or something it still has so much hand craftsmanship that there's just all these little areas you can nerd out about and make sure they're done just right. And this one was cool because the owner who was not the restorer um, is kind of a historian expert on it. He did a lot of stuff like tracking down the only known um, mechanics guide to this car to like get reference photos mm -hmm. for the grained cover over the side mount spares. Um, the, Working with the restorer, they uh, they CNC'd um, molds for the rubber floor mats because there's just no other way to get them, um, which I thought was kind of a cool way that like technology is helping enable these older restorations. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of stuff that you didn't see uh, that went into it, you know, bending clips that were hidden behind trim. Just, I mean, an obsessive level of detail as the, the owner would tell you. Mm -hmm. I think he might have had like, an interior done and it wasn't quite right so we had another one done which is like i would know, love to have that much money exactly uh but the result was this amazing car that i've never seen you know never seen a model uh an example like this before 
And without even knowing any of the backstory and all the work that went into it, it did kind of project this like, wow, this is this is really right somehow. Um, and then, yeah, you 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 got to look under the the car at the chassis and you know do the again judge like you know checking things out and you know you find out that like the floorboards or the running boards are unpainted because on the underside because back then it was just a car and they figured it might last three or four years so why even paint the wooden running boards underneath when cars were changing so quickly exactly. at that point it's like this is going to be an outdated car exactly in two so years. you know that that's uh you know i would have I would have painted them because I wasn't, you know. You're well, also that makes the car last longer now. <laughs> right, but it's a, it's a, it's an awesome car. Um, I've got some pictures of it that'll be online. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was really um, deserving of that recognition, and uh, it was a cool experience. Uh, was it fun? It was. And then as I walked out of the room where we were judging uh, the cars, since there was an auction. You know, there's all these really high-level cars. Outside, there's this auction going on. And I took a picture of it because it was so funny. Like, we were judging all these amazing cars right outside. I don't know if it was a second-chance lot or cars that had sold, but it was like a 40 Oldsmobile, a BMW 2000, a DeLorean, an FJ40, and a Monte Carlo uh, SS Intimidator Edition Mm -hmm. all out there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, all of these are... Eligible, theoretically. Theoretically eligible. Yeah fairly affordable i know the fj and the delorean are kind of like big bigger money cars now but it's like wow anybody could get one of these and spend so 20 years restoring them and be a part of this thing you're not going to see like that breadth of car culture anywhere else i imagine i mean i mean you know the the auction yeah just outside this building yeah there were all there were all kinds of things rolling across the block i have a theory that the reason you go to this stuff and the reason you're involved with it is because you're trying to cozy up to some old guys who are going to leave you like a nice uh, Packard. Like a, like I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. Um, uh, I That is a very, if that is the game, that is very uh, shrewd. I think about that all the time because I think we've all said like those big pre-war cars, like if those ever get to be even remotely affordable, which they never will, uh, we can buy all of them and that will just be the only cars that I drive. Uh I don't like I said I don't think that's ever going to happen but the the next best thing is to kind of develop a uncle type relationship mm-hmm. with somebody and then become the steward of their collection. Yeah. That that'd be super rad. And I also think totally morally uh defensible. I, I got no comment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um so if you want to join the AACA or go to an event, uh you can go to their website which is aaca.org. .org. Um now, you can check out Graham's story on our website, which mm-hmm. is autoweek.com. And uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, I give Grandma a lot of shit about the old guy stuff, but it is, I've actually been to these events and they're very cool and the cars are awesome and uh, those old guys are cool and they have uh, a lot to uh, to tell you. Yeah, the amount of, there was the show the next day, yeah. the big Grand National show, which like one of the first things you walk in and see are two Kaiser Darrens parked yeah. next to uh like a Fiero uh, pace car edition, but it had a fuel cell. I got to do some research on what exactly that thing was. It was uh-huh. like a racy Fiero. And it was like, and the owners of them were just talking. It's like, that's crazy yeah, cool. range. And these guys know so much about this stuff. Yeah. And let me tell you, 
They will tell you everything about one of their cars if you even just express a hint of an interest. Yeah, so. that's uh, that's my big fear. No, just joking. Uh, so moving yeah. uh, along from uh, the ACA thing. Well, take the straw boater cap off. Yeah. Put the clipboard <laughs> down. Uh, Jimmy, uh, the notes here say Jimmy's entering Rally Car Limbo. That's not that's, actually true. Yeah, that's not true. That's not I, true at I'm, all. I'm entering into the, the very common state of engine service. Of, well, of just reprep and uh, looking for busted things and fixing things and pulling an engine. So last night, Jimmy and I, uh, late into the evening, moved um, the 911 uh, from its, it's kind of sitting sideways, kind of cattywampus across two garage bays. We moved it into one, knocked it off the uh the wheel dollies mixed, twice. Mixed success. Ooh. Yeah. Put a couple, a big dent in the old, nice uh, success. yeah. In the oil cooler, big Oof. dent in the, in the, uh, what are those things called? The rocker cover. Rockers. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that's fine to do. Um, I told Jimmy if, if we get to the point where the dented oil cooler and the rocker cover are problems for us, we've made a lot of progress and we're, we should be feeling good about that. So, that's um, true. the, uh, but, but Jimmy is going to be moving the Subi into, into the old, uh, Carol Manor. Yep. Carriage yeah, the old, uh, yeah, the, the garage. The auto week, uh, yeah. Carriage house, um, to yeah. do some prep. Yeah. Well, we, we had a really good rally in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you finish? Uh, fifth overall and second in class. That's pretty good. And that's with, uh, we had three flats. One for five and a half miles of stage, and then we had two on the way to the start of day two. So now, just outside looking at a flat tire for five point five miles, that's gonna wreck some havoc there. Yeah, it, it wasn't ideal. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I thought I felt something at the start. I think what happened is we got a slow puncture on this previous stage, and then we had a long stop um, before the next stage, and I think it it just that's when it actually went flat and um so yeah the stage was so short it's only five five and a half miles or so that we just drove the whole stage with it flapping around um so rather than stop and waste even more time so um you know which again isn't great it's kind of funny though i mean it makes a terrible sound because the tire those rally the gravel tires just do not want to let go of um wheels um, although this one eventually did, um, you know, it's just ripping up the whole fender. It's tearing apart anything that it touches, you know, you're driving down the stage and a, it's really hard to turn right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you have no tire, no tire there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no tire really affects your, uh, grip. That's, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, it affects your, well, they, your they say that's one of the main, I mean, I don't want to get into like a engineering mm-hmm. discussion. Uh, but that's one of the main reasons why they put. Uh, four tires on. Yeah. Oh, you don't yeah. say. Okay. Yeah. To try to. Uh, yeah. I mean, most people don't, you know, really think about that, but it turns out they're important. Um, but actually, the rubber finally let go. Although it's kind of funny. I mean, you're driving around and you can, you're just imagining all of the terrible things mm-hmm. that it's doing, and you can see your turn signal kind of flapping up every once in a while out of the corner of your eye because it's just hanging on its wire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it kind of gives you a special little rage, you know, to get to the end. Now, um, now interestingly so, enough, yes. though, uh-huh. you actually get a little more turn in when the tire finally lets go. 
uh-huh. and you're just running on, on your, the wheel on your wheel yeah. and it actually it's it's much nicer and now in this rally too you were doing a bit of uh, philandering as far as your Ooh, don't tell kate co-driver well oh. kate wasn't there oh. jimmy was Yikes. there with another co-driver oh. the entire time uh how is that and how is that received i talked to kate afterwards yeah. and did not seem super pleased about it because you were talking <laughs> But this new co-driver, like he's just the, the, the best knee. thing since sliced bread, this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. So he did I, a great job. Yeah. He was he, handsome. Yeah, yeah, really good looking guy. Really did a good job. You guys um, had great chemistry, you said? Yeah, had some good chemistry in the uh-huh. car there. Um, but no, uh, in the past. Called so, him your best friend. Called Yeah, called him my best friend ever. Yep. Uh, in the past, Kate has um, had some issues with motion sickness at uh, South o- Southern Ohio. So. You'd say that was her Achilles heel then, and that's what this guy is for better. that for that one in that respect. <laughs> for that one rally, uh-huh. for that one rally, and uh, so a guy named Ryan Scott, who um, is based out of Columbus, lives forty five minutes away from the rally, uh, offered to jump in the car. So, but um, well, she told me that she just couldn't get work off. Are you telling me that there's there was a combination of things discrepancy? Yeah, here? there was a combination. Man, I hope of she things. doesn't listen to this. This is going to be it's very our, bad she for stopped, you. She stopped listening. Okay, good. Uh, maybe I think I don't know, but she's gonna, um, yeah, I'll find name. out though. She'll see your name and yeah, we'll yeah, know. I'll, yeah, we'll definitely know find out. Yeah, by Friday. Yeah, the uh, but no, a couple different things. You know, time off, getting time off for work is hard, and um, also the motion sickness is kind of, you know, I didn't want to do uh, three times so. Uh, Ryan offered to jump in the car, and he is uh, super experienced, um, also does Baja, and has been in the sport a lot longer than us. And uh, So that was really good. Learned some things. Um, we got along well in the car and, you know, kind of found our pace towards the end of the first day, which was nice. You know, there was a lot of mixed conditions, and we had a huge hailstorm, um, lots of rain defroster doesn't work very well so that's always exciting the flat tires so it kind of took us to get into the second day to really find our um speed but once it was there it was pretty good so but um but yeah so now um in ohio's just awesome too though because it's just super tight turns um you're always almost always turning or linking turns and it's really beautiful in southern ohio so and the team that puts on the rally does a really good job so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, so now the car, the engine's going to come out. We're just going to give it a go through. Now you said your guy, uh, Aaron, yeah, can pull the motor in fourteen minutes. Fourteen minutes. That's a that's a rage pull though. That's yeah. a uh, oh, we just put everything together and the throwout bearing broke. Yep. Um, so just- I'm shooting for like. Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. This is a leisurely pace. Yeah, yeah. It's say. it's my um, working pace, mm-hmm. but it's neither a rage nor a leisure. Mm-hmm. You got to crack some beers. Well, it's definitely, uh, it's not hustling. That's a kind of kickback beer drinking yeah. pace. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice We should take the motor out of the 911 at the same time. Just see who does it first? No, just because, like, while just we're pulling motors. Why not? Might as well. It's the thing to do. Oh, what if you get them confused and put the wrong oh, one in the wrong I mean, they're both boxers. It's like, boxers. A, it's like a movie. Yeah. What if you put them both in a ring and, and saw what happened? Sorry, do what now? You put them both in a ring. They're both uh, boxers. A, yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, that was, <laughs> we can cut wow. that out. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ. Wow. So, but anyway, going to do that. I feel physically a, ill yeah, right now. Going to take a look at the engine, uh, just make sure everything's my favorite joke. Um, good and kind of fix it up a little. 
And then um, also just go through the car and make sure, you know, it's not rusting away. Make sure the shocks aren't leaking or falling <laughs> apart. A, just a little restoration. Wait, well, know. the thing about a rally car. You told car, me you were pulling the motor and it would take 16 minutes. I didn't say that. Uh, that I was said implied. like two hours. Yeah. I said Aaron could do it in 14. But now minutes. it sounds like. A month and a half. Well, I moving. told you. It sounds like I you're I told you it'll in. be there for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. All this stuff will be done in the two a weeks. A couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so. Now the thing about rally racing, right? Uh-huh. Um, it, uh huh. It's super hard on the car, so yeah, it's, it's a little rough on the car. Rebuilding the car is fairly routine, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much a rebuild; it's more just to go around and see what's, Service, man. what's uh, you know, falling apart or become loose. Um, you know, make sure. I mean, at the end of Hundred Acre, we found out that uh, the gravel was actually just wearing away the um, the trailing arms where the bushings are, so. They're at about half of what they come from at the factory. So thickness wise. Yeah, thickness wise. So, so you, the gravel actually eats away that's the kind of, that's something I not would have not the, um, considered. Yeah, so we made little little uh, heavy duty plastic cover things that are zip tied huh. to them now. So hopefully those are still there. But um, yeah, you're nice. really just looking for loose loose nuts and bolts, make sure everything's uh, tidy. Um, you know, there's there's always more work that you can do. Um, you know, one thing I really want to do is wire in the diff controller. That's been a really big game changer. Um, just not only the gearing of the STI RA transmission, but the DCCD and actually having a differential controller in there is really cool because you can set the you know the the torque amount or, mm-hmm. or not the torque but the slip amount. Um, which is awesome. So at Ohio, you know, you run it a little more open than you would at like Snowdrift or 100 Acre, just because of all the tight turns. But man, when it when it locks, it the car just stops. It grips. It goes. It's a really neat thing. So, but what you can actually do is wire in the ECU to automatically just be mapped out um, to open and close. You know, given different speeds and other um, factors. So, and that's just tapping four wires. So it's actually pretty cool. And doing some programming. And we're going to be doing that in my garage, too. Uh, don't, don't have to, but, you know, since it's there. Just know. making a list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, maybe we can get the 911 done in the same period. Hopefully I, before the end of the decade. We had it, uh, we, no, it's close now. We have got to put some uh, sway bar back on. Got to buckle up the linkages. Uh, put the headers on. Put the suspension back in, and then we're good to go. And put the axles back in. Wow, uh, do we need those? Uh, I strongly suggest you need one of them for sure. At least one of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah it's kind of a good weight settings technique to only have one of the putting uh, axles, axles in though isn't a big. No, deal, that'll though. take fifteen minutes. That was very. They're easy to take out. Even I have a different memory. No, they're actually a pain well, in the ass. That means out. they'll be even easier to put in. They they're, should be pretty, pretty easy to, to put, put in. in. Yeah, yeah. there's um, bolt-in CV axles. Yeah, yeah. got to rebuild those rear brakes, I guess. Rear brakes and uh, put in the uh, new wheel bearings that you purchased. Oh yeah, Ooh. that should be fine. We'll do that with a hammer. That's a way. Yep. Um, hammer in a pop can. Yeah. That's uh, how you bl- do Thank you. Block of wood. Yeah. yeah. About the right size. Um. So the like a, like a full soda can to get the leverage or. No, you, you want a little spray it all over yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, so Wesley, you are going to the custom car revival. Yeah, the uh, sixth, I believe, custom car revival. And where's that? That's in Indianapolis, Indiana, on the south side at Edwards Drive-In. If you get a chance, they have a oh, really good tenderloin. Yeah, I love that tenderloin. Uh, and it's when? It is. Uh, so you're listening to this on Friday uh-huh. because you're a devotee to the podcast. The future. 
tomorrow. It's tomorrow. So if it's you Saturday, Saturday, June 8th. So yeah, there's no way that you guys are going to change their plans on Friday for this. They could maybe, They should. They really should. Maybe they're going to be at the revival like adjacent to it already. If you're there for a business trip, a pleasure yeah. trip, live in Indianapolis, uh, go to the custom car go revival. Go to it. Yeah, it's going to be at the drive-in. At Edwards Drive-in. Edwards Drive-in. It should be very hot. What is it? Um, it is the world's biggest traditional custom car show. Are you showing a car? Yeah. Uh, my 54 Ford will be there. The 54 Ford? Crescent Victoria. Is that the one with the big dent in the... No, no, no. That's uh, my 59 Ford Galaxy. That's right. Fairly okay, 500 the Galaxy. Gal- yeah, Galaxy. Is uh, so good. let's catch everybody up on that. So I brought my 59 Ford Galaxy. Excuse me. 1959 Ford Fairlane 500 Galaxy. It's a mid-year change. <laughs> Uh, brought that up to my house in Dearborn Heights, Michigan, where it's there are trees. Where it is. Uh, yeah, anyway, a tree limb fell on it while the guy, while well, my maintenance company that maintains the land, the house I live in was repairing the garage door. And it probably did. Well, the assessor is going to come out Monday to say exactly how much they think damage it did, but I'm thinking at least two to three grand. Uh, now, who's insuring this car? Uh Haggerty. They send out an assessor? Uh, yes. Uh, really? This is how it's going. Man, that wasn't back when I worked there. You just sent them some pictures and they'd send you some money. Um, yeah, it's worked. Uh, I don't know. My Who's dad this guy? Is he going to be a, a cus- old car, custom car? I, I hope so. I hope probably so. Probably not, though. It'll probably just be some yokel. I hope. Well, a yokel, yeah, they can generally, they know, they know the, the figures and the figures. A lot of times those yokels, uh, they get in there and they're very stubborn because they don't want to be tricked because they've been tricked so many times. That is true. That is true. they're uh, yokels and everybody yells at him like, uh, do not go out there and get <laughs> tricked again. And he's like, don't worry, I'm not paying shit. Yeah. That's, um, that could be your guy. Well, I think also with Haggerty, since I've never filed a claim and oof, I never wanted to file a claim, oof. um, I don't like the way this is shaping up. You should give us a uh, like a breakdown of how this claim p- process goes. Yeah, I, we should I have will. the claims guy on the show. Oh God! Well, or we could do a live podcast from the claim. We're, I could. <laughs> uh, that's, I, I'll get his contact info and see if he, see yeah, what he wants to do. I think that's a good idea. We should um, call Haggerty, our friends at Haggerty. Uh, but I think the way Haggerty works, though, if they assess the car mm-hmm. and you take it to one of their like affiliated shops or like a shop that they know does work or whatever, mm-hmm. they can adjust mm-hmm. the quote after the fact. I th- that's what I've been told. Ooh. So, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, I get a fender out of it. I found a, a pair of fenders in Jersey, a uh, new old stock, because uh, these fenders were perfect. Yeah, so, pristine. Uh, you yeah. should get a quote from the place that gave me the sixty thousand uh, dollar respray yeah. quote. Throw on the list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're uh, they're gonna give that level of dedication to a respray. Yeah, you they give, can fix a fender. You give $40,000 uh, fender replacement quote or something. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I won't be taking that car for a myriad of reasons. You're taking the 54, which I've actually ridden in. Yep. Uh, you rode in it when I smoked a clutch. Yeah. That was that, that beautiful day in Indianapolis. Yep. Um, but new clutch is in it. Uh, Dad's going to hose it off. Uh, I'm going to fluff it up for the three hours that I'll be home mm-hmm. before I get to go to the show. It's a good car. It's uh, my favorite car. Thank you. Yeah. Uh Yep, it's an early 60s styled, like a, coincidentally, like a high school kid would have built a car in 1961. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fun fact, I was in high school building it when that happened. So that's a really, in 19- really. Wow, d- weird. Yeah, 2000 and some odd. I graduated in 10. So I think I, I did the majority lot, of the work uh, in 10. Older than you look. Yeah, I know. I, I aged really well. But the custom car of right? Yep. So you should go. Um, 
historic cars show up. I mean, the Ride and Custom Dream Truck's been there. Uh, Barris cars have been there. The Alexander Brothers cars have been there. Um, this year, there'll be over 50, 49 to 51 Mercuries. So it'll be the largest gathering of the shoeboxes. M- most popular Mercuries. No, the Fords are the shoeboxes. Fords are the shoeboxes, yeah. yeah. Um, it's one of the don't-miss shows on my calendar that I've only missed, I think, one of. Maybe two of. I would like to go. I wish someone would have told me about it in advance. You can come down with me. I'm leaving Detroit at 9 o'clock p.m. Tonight? Friday night. Oh. Uh, do you guys see that uh, Jaguar Project 8? They're doing a touring spec, just like the 911 thing. The GT3. No, Does, cool they're doing a, like a lightweight. Yep. It's, no, it's the uh, same weight, I think. Well, it's probably a little bit lighter, but it doesn't have the big wing and all, a lot of the wilder stuff. It's a little bit more tame looking. Um, they're just making 15, though. Mm. In the whole world, got to make more than that. And they're going to be what two or three thousand dollars a piece? Or? They are free. You got to sign up today. So, Ooh. sorry, uh, sorry, listeners, you're so probably too late. Missed it. Yep, <laughs> missed it by a few days. Yeah. Speaking of signing up and free, mm-hmm. um, the Cadillac CT5V and CT4V are both neither free nor available right now. Yep. But, but they did debut. You can sign up for. You could probably talk to your dealer and get signed up for one. Um, so yeah, those came out uh, to uh, us right about here a week, Detroit, or six days Eastern ago. Market, about a hop, skip, and a yeah. jump from the office. We had like five people there. Um, we t- we had uh, all the Cadillac brass was there, um, which was kind of cool. It shows uh, good showing for the brand, I think. Um, but the cars, uh, the cars looked fantastic. I thought. Um, I think there's some confusion out there, Wes. I, I like want to that, summarize that. Well, first and foremost, I like that they're sticking with the V aesthetics that we've come to love yep. from the third gen CTSV. The mesh grills, the emblems, it looks super sharp. Yeah. I think um, this car uh these look a little a little bit more polished. Is that possible? Or a little like bit more refined. More, yeah. Um I haven't seen them in person. Yeah. Oh, you uh, weren't there. No, I wasn't there. No, I was Must have had something to do at that time. Busy. I, I think my job was to look at Jake's story before it went live. Mm. So, um, so, but I think the the biggest the big story. What's the key takeaway, Graham? The big summarize thing, it for yeah. me. HP baby. Yeah. The big thing was the CT five V gets a three liter twin turbo V six, and the CT four V gets a two seven turbo four. Uh-huh. And Would, I think a lot of the uh, Cadillac V diehards which there's a lot of them because you know they've kind of built up a really strong yeah uh v's built a really strong following we're kind of like uh what the heck Uh where's the wtf where's the you know where's my 700 horsepower Cadillac? yeah so i think polished is probably a pretty good word for these all around they're not really as from what we can tell they're not as raw as uh like the ctsv coupe that we all come came to know and love yeah was or the cts uh, v wagon i think um uh i had a, an interesting talk with uh michael simcoe about the interior styling which is very good if you haven't sat in one of those cars no it's very, that's very good. something i really want to check out um so the the little car the ct4 is i think uh this is not from that conversation but um is it it's a different car than i think we've seen before it's really not even probably uh, necessarily intended for U.S. consumers. It's kind of a different, mm. different thing. Um, yeah, they're thinking uh, it's not abroad. an ATSV. Yeah, um, replacement in the the CT5V isn't really an analog directly to 
the CTSV either. Um, so it's, they're both in different size classes, obviously. Um, but I think what we saw on Saturday at the yeah. races, um, and, and probably, you know, there was a lack of, uh, clarity in the presentation, um, at, at the thing, but, um, I did watch a presentation, which, and it actually was pretty clear in the presentation. I think probably, I think people saw the stats and saw the displacement and, and said, Oh, what is this? Yeah. yeah but so there's the, the forthcoming thing. And I am sure they mentioned it in the presentation, but I think people probably just read headlines and got yeah. mad, mm-hmm. um, as is, as is uh, the world typical. we live in today. Yep. Um, but there are some much hotter V's coming out. Well, yeah, and they, they, they showed them at uh, where Detroit. Looks Saturday, yeah. yeah. Saturday of Detroit Grand Isle, Bell Isle. Detroit, Bell Isle Grand Prix presented by Lear. Yep. Uh, thanks, thanks for nailing that, Lear. But yeah, so, that. so I think it's it's more, so like uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday, so Audi has their standard cars, the A cars. They have uh, the S line cars, which are like appearance and uh, some performance yeah, a little stuff, bit of power. suspension and brakes. And then they have S, which is the real uh, big. Oh yeah, it's everything. Right. And then the RS, and the RS, which, which is like all everything, everything and, more. and then some. Um, well, I will say Cadillac had that too, but it wasn't the most organic. Yeah, so they with the V Sport. Yeah, so they had something analogous to that. BMW does. M the Sport. regular cars, the M Sport, and then the M, and then the M competition cars. Yeah, and then AMG has a similar. Yeah. Well, now everything's thing. an AMG. Yeah. Yeah, but AMG. So I think what has what's confusing people is so those ones are all pretty distinct, right? So you got M Sport. So that would be like analogous to V Sport, but what these cars look like to me is something more similar to what AMG does where all the cars are AMGs. There's a E55 and an E63 and an E63S, which are like, they all have an AMG badge. They all say AMG on them, but there are levels of performance within the same, uh, and they have different motors than the whole deal. So I think, that's probably what I'm guessing, and I actually don't have any inside information. Uh, now, I will say that makes the most sense for the consumer, right? You want to be included. You want to be, if you're a V owner or want to be V owner adjacent, it's nice to have the V badge. Yeah, and I think, too, like these cars don't have the big power stuff that they're talking about having like limited slip and like launch control and like some stuff that would make the cars fun to drive. It's just not like the fire breathing, uh, insane. Uh, V's that we saw previously. I think those are coming. And I love that we live in a beautiful time where 355 horsepower is not a lot. Yeah, it's like, oh <laughs> man, what a bummer that is. Uh, but yeah, they made it very clear that there's, there's more. more coming. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I I was at the presentation and they they mentioned that very clearly in the presentation. And uh, I think, like I said, I think some people maybe didn't take great notes or missed some of that stuff. Um, and then people have gotten real worked up in the old comment sections and stuff, but like nobody's mad about the E 55, uh, existing for Mercedes. That's not like no one's, you know, no one's, uh, there was some initial talk. They were like, Oh, they're watering down the whole AMG thing. And that kind of washed out. Yeah. Considering because they you can still make, you can the, still get an E 63. They still make the, yeah. And I, I awesome guess I didn't, topper, yeah, I didn't, line, you know, the, yeah, the range chopper. I, I guess I didn't catch any of that, that, uh, Uproar, I think the uproar certainly is greater for 
the uh, the Cadillacs than it was for the AMG thing, um, which I mean, is interesting. I will say, do you think that maybe not misleading people, but creating this kind of uh, uproar was intentional? I mean, because there people are talking about. I don't know. It people are talking been, about it as a definitely been, good marketing could, technique. Well, it could have been like a like a redemption story. Like they're yeah. setting it up. Like oh, when those when these things come, it's going to be crazy. And I thought the you know ripping them around Belle Isle was pretty cool. It's a yeah. way to tease something. It was interesting um, to me. And I again, I don't have any inside information here, but the um, the grill openings were all covered up on yep. those new cars on the cars on Belle Isle. Yeah. Which to me is like, is that a different motor? Is that right. a, a motor that's like way hotter than this iteration of motor? And there were a couple little things like uh, you could see some uh, duct openings. I don't know if they were, you know, for body, you know, to reduce underbody pressure, but mm-hmm. right behind the, the front wheel arches, if you look closely, you could see there were some arches. So it, substantial body modifications yeah. throughout. Um, and the, that could on the be bro, a spoiler on the back. If you remember reading, I think David Tracy at Jalopnik did a really cool breakdown of the ATSV's cooling system and how brilliant it was. Oh, it had uh, a million and a half heat exchangers, basically. Yeah, but like how they routed everything and like routed air, and it was kind of neat. Um, could be some of that stuff happening here, but I, um, I don't think it is kind of funny that you would just assume that Cadillac is just going to reduce like the power on their, uh, Halo cars car, yeah. by half and then just be like, yep, that's <laughs> the best we could do. Sorry. I don't know. Wait, you mean you wanted more? <laughs> yeah. Um, but they did, they did talk in that presentation too, about these being a lot cheaper than a, a regular full, full fledged V, which a- I think again, is probably good. Lines up kind of like with the V sport. Yeah. Theoretically where that would have been. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be cool. I think overall, I think the cars look awesome. The um the interiors are a major step up um over previous Cadillac stuff and um super well laid out. Had a low H point in the C T five that I sat in, which is That's like That's your big thing. It is my big thing. And I told uh Mike Simcoe that I was like, This is my bugaboo and we had a really interesting topic or a really interesting discussion about um why high H points are popular now or why they're the um the standard now and then also why like um some of the packaging stuff uh some of the other um cars in the class kind of sit up they look like they're on their toes Mm -hmm. a little bit i always thought it was because they have like 21 inch wheels and the cars are engineered to have like everything from a 19 to a 21 inch wheel but there's all kinds of reasons why um can you explain the age point thing no Okay, uh, no. I, I do want to know. There are a number of reasons. Actually, w- there's uh, some obvious reasons that I, you know, I've always said I thought it was because of old people and people who are out of shape and it's hard for them to get in and out of the car. Guilty as charged. Um, uh, Mr. Simcoe would not confirm or deny that that was the case, <laughs> but he also did mention one that I hadn't thought of um, as the hood uh, lines have come up because of crash stuff. Oh, right, yeah. It becomes harder to see over the hood, so you have to kind of perch up higher to see uh to you know see where mm-hmm. to place the car and and to drive them and feel comfortable on them which that actually does make a ton of sense and i hadn't thought about that because i'm a dummy and i just get mad all the time you know what would be an interesting question to ask simcoe we should um, have him on yeah we should because i would like he's to, like the he's a very very cool yeah, guy yeah he yeah, is very good um, to talk to well maybe let me know if this is a dumb thing but like i think this goes for the cadillacs too but yeah. um the the blazer which i was in uh, just last night, actually kind of made me think about this. Uh-huh. GM cars, especially the newest ones, mm-hmm. which are kind of his his babies at this point, um, stylistically, uh-huh. they always look way better in person than they do in photos. 
That is like, interesting. I, I hadn't thought about the that. Cadillacs. The newer ones I've seen, yeah, I see them in pictures, and I'm like, eh. But then I see them in person, I'm like, wow, that actually does look pretty striking. Yeah. Or I see them on the road. Even the Blazer, which I was when I saw the first pictures of it, I was like, it's a kind of a goofy looking car. Yeah, I was staring at it in the driveway. I'm like, I kind of like this thing. Yeah, you know, once I had sat in it and walked around it, and photographing, it's obviously weird. You know, it does weird things to the angles, and yeah. and you know, different proportions get skewed, but. Um, I don't know. I think maybe people need to see this stuff in person. Yeah. Uh, that that heavy duty truck was a which great example. I loved from the get go. Which you know, it's a heavy duty truck. Make it look like a big. Yeah, but heavy duty truck. It should look like a hammer. It looks so. It made so much more sense in person yeah. than it did in the photos. And that I would say GM products are probably right now the the best example of a brand where their products uniformly look way better in person than mm-hmm. they do. Um, in pictures or even like on a show stand under yeah. lights. I mean, um, I think in two, we've talked a lot about this, you know, at a, from an editorial standpoint, but like, man, the, the photography, commercial photography for cars these days, mostly makes cars look very stupid. Um, yeah. There's some exceptions to the rule. Our buddy, uh, Andrew Trahan, uh, and some other guys, uh, um, uh, really kind of still do awesome stuff that that but most commercial photography for cars um really really bad mikey schaefer is a good he does he does fantastic work um but you know a more natural look like you know i think part of the reason why there's like a discrepancy between what cars look like in photos and what cars look like in real life is that like the photos are not representative of real life they're like super uh you know, HDR yeah. and like all the wacky colors and all that stuff. All of Ferrari's images look like they were computer generated. Yeah. Almost all, I mean, almost all press photos of cars look like they're computer generated. They look very wacky. Yeah. Um, it's very dumb to me. Um, I imagine that's because some of them are computer generated, but yeah. Yeah. Or at least composited. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, and I ju- only say it cause it's, it's been a consistent thing with, with, GM stuff. GM stuff where we should have some co-on yeah, and talk about cool. it maybe when the new uh the new v stuff comes out yeah. um but i think yeah that was a interesting it was what was i guess you know most kind of interesting like i said i, I didn't hear that kind of uproar about m sport or the the lower trim amg stuff um people were very mad about the the v stuff i think part but, of it is is the lack of a V8 at yeah. the moment, um, especially because there's that Blackwing V8 just kind of lurking out there that we haven't, I don't think we've really seen in person. We've known no. it's coming, but it's yeah. like, you know, guys are really passionate about V being this American uh, luxury performance brand. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that still is the V8. So yeah. the fact that there wasn't one of those, I could, I could see that. Yeah. Especially since we know they have one that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it that, is funny to me. There's like, you know, it, it is one of those one of those things. Like all these people getting super mad about it, who would never conceivably exactly, yeah, ever. But I mean, buy any. they're not lining up at the dealership. It's, yeah. it's kind of good that people got super mad about yeah. it, right? That means that they cared. Yeah, even that's if they're going to buy a big step forward. Yeah, man. Though I was thinking, if they were all like, "Oh, okay, that's fine." I really want to do an ATS view with an LS7. I think somebody, someone has done that, um, but that would be. It pretty much a perfect car for me. Uh, I that LS7, I think probably the one of the greatest motors ever devised. One of the best best things that definitely one of the best small blocks. Yeah. Meter. 
uh, 500 horsepower, 500 foot pounds. Um, be a really, really good car, a really good motor in that car. Um, probably knowing what I know about the cooling and all that stuff, very hard to do, um, to do it right anyway and make it still handle and cool and do all that stuff. But, but it'll still, sound like a race car. I really uh, want to do that. Which is probably more important than handling. Yeah. So, um, yeah, cause handling doesn't matter to, I'm too, I'm not a good driver, so like it, you know, I'm never really going to get to the point where any of that stuff matters. Neutral schmutral. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be, um, anyway, I forgot why I brought that up, but, um, speaking of neutral cars. Yes. Uh, Robin, Robin earlier today, Warner, Robin Warner, a real fireball, our resident race car driver, hell of an interview, raced a bunch of children. Uh, no, he did not this time. Not this time, he but raced in adults. the past. Yeah. But they were automotive journalists. So you might as well have been <laughs> racing. Actually, I think the children would probably be uniformly much faster. faster. They were yeah. faster than Robin. I think in most cases. Yeah. Um, because he, they're Robin's heavier. He says. Uh, he drove Honda's yep. Civic Type R TCR, Ooh. and he talks about it over the span of twenty minutes. So if you like uh, car reviews, that's is... the one to get to. Uh, Robin said it was pretty good to drive that race car um, up at M1 Concourse in Pontiac, Michigan. In Pontiac, Michigan, which still don't know where that is. Just joking. I've been there a couple times. Um, but stick around, I guess, and listen to that. Uh, from our, our little guy, Robin. Here we are at the drives because Robin has to take a little Robin time and leave a little early. Um, <laughs> we have to record this. Really? We have We're going there. Time. We're starting right we off. We have to record this a little yeah. out of, out of man, cannon. Man, oh, man, oh, yep. uh, man. I mean, Robin needs his Robin time. Robin needs his Robin Well, he gets here at Every Robin 2 o'clock in the morning. Robin time. So. Yeah, let's let's think about when my full day has uh, been completed. But you're in the room here with uh, myself, Wesley Wren, Jimmy Pelizari, and Robin, the TCR man, Warner. Um, Robin, didn't you drive a TCR car? It's funny. I finally my Live up to your nickname. finally yeah. my nickname makes sense. <laughs> it's kind of strange even the TCR man even before TCR existed, yeah. which is kind of strange. Yeah, so but TCR TCR is a worldwide racing category, uh twin car race or racing is it? Racing, I believe. Racing, yeah. yeah. And it is used mainly in Europe and here in the States. Here in the States, it's in IMSA in the Michelin Tire Challenge, which is a class that is not the full WeatherTech sports car challenge, but usually kind of like the main support race of IMSA of IMSA weekends. So yeah, I talked about it briefly a couple episodes ago for the potheads out there. They race they race with GT4 cars. Like at NSA. effectively, they call yeah. them they call them GS and in IMSA. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, because well, you know, GT they don't GT Daytona GTD. Yeah, that's um those are GT three cars. Yeah, and the GS the Grand Sport those are GT four cars basically, and then the TCR cars are TCR cars. <laughs> and the, the way they dice with the GS cars is, you you wouldn't you could hardly tell these are front wheel drive hatchbacks. Yeah. And they, it, they mix with the rear-wheel drive GS cars. The GT4 cars are usually a little bit better for straight line speed. Yeah. They're usually up on power. I've driven a GT4 car once as well. Uh, Mercedes Ooh. AMG GT4 car um, in uh, late 2017. It was lovely. Um, it was a lot of fun, actually. So and do these have kind of the... So, but also just to, for listeners, TCR cars are typically hot hatches... Well, so they are exactly, I mean, I don't, you know, 
hatchback style almost universally, but they are front wheel drive and up to two liter turbocharged engines for output. Horsepower is around 350, although Honda is actually saying 340. And then there is a balance of performance component applied after that, just which also true in GT4. GT4 cars, you know, technically, I think they can be up to 500 horsepower, but balance of performance puts it way below that. Hmm. But the reason we're talking about all this nonsense is because, again, you drove one. You yes. drove a, uh, a little Honda Civic Type R TCR recently. I drove exactly that, a Honda Civic Type R TCR race car. Kind of a mouthful. It is. Uh, lots of letters. But the TCR car does indeed start life as a Honda Civic Type R body in white that's built. Okay, I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah, it's built in England. And then that... So it's built in England, body of white, then gets shipped over to Italy and uh, gets race car modifications, you know, mod- you know, adjustable suspension, uh, front and rear, uh, full on roll cage, and then not a lot of interior at all. Is it a sequential? What's sequential, six speed, yeah. hydraulic gearbox, not pneumatic. Pneumatic is cooler. But hydraulic is still very cool. Sequen- sequential gearbox, excuse does it, me. Does it use the standard Civic dashboard or does it have like a race pack it's full race no okay. there's no it, it the interior is fully customized and uh i have temptation to pull out my phone and show you guys a couple of pictures but i don't know how well that would work in the podcast probably not not, um, not super great the the car is um also powered by civic type r engine at the starting point and in fact the engines do start life in the Anno Ohio Civic Type R engine really? plant, yes, and then go over and get modified. By modified, do you mean torn down and completely rebuilt, or well, <laughs> as it was described to me, turned into a new engine. As it was described to me, uh, both all the, the, all the parts are there, just rearranged. No, the the bottom the the bottom half of the uh, the engine, so the, the block, yeah, the block is left alone. And um, the head, I think, is modified some, but they say largely left alone, something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, what what are the things you get? You get a lightweight flywheel. You get a um, larger um, larger um, turbo. Um, so effectively, so it is just real Civic Type R stuff with bolt-ons, yeah. effectively. And if you think about it... I, and a lot of tuning. I'm and, and a lot a, of tuning. A yeah. lot of tuning, yeah. It's, a, it's MoTeC, tuned by MoTeC, in fact. Um, but if you think about it, the the Civic Type R makes 306 horsepower. Yeah, so not a huge leap. And to this 340. is 340, and runs on 100 octane gasoline. Yeah, or can do anyway. And has the same exhaust as uh, a straight piece of exhaust pipe. Exactly. So it's not very effective. Actually, not at all. The uh, TCR cars are mandated to have catalytic converters. Really? Yeah. So it okay. has a high flow catalytic converter. They sound extremely snotty in person. Is why I thought they didn't have any exhaust system whatsoever. Yeah, no, it's definitely louder. Yeah. It's definitely louder. It has a a, high-flow catalytic converter. It's a pipe with a very small catalytic converter. Yeah, it does not have a muffler. Yeah. Right. But it is a lot closer to the Civic Type R in in those fundamental Mm -hmm. ways than you might think. But that's that's the TCR format in general. And the... The, the suspension's fully customizable. The differential is not fully customizable, but has a lot of customization opportunities. And How's it different than a stock Civic Type R? Did they put like a limited slip in there? Did they? Yes, it's, okay. a, it's a limited slip that has a lot of adjustment. You can adjust, um, you know, getting a little technical, you can adjust preload on the diff and you can adjust how aggressive the diff 
winds up once it's loaded and all those things. So, um, and that's the type of thing that the race teams do um, because it is not like pressing buttons on a dash. It is removing half shafts and playing with things and pulling diffs out and putting new diffs in the new old new clutches out, things like that. So it's, this is not, this is not a play race car on the weekends. Cause I'm wealthy. This is, I have a racing team that knows yeah. how to tear apart cars and put them back together. My differential guy. Uh. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, TCR is just like GT3 and GT4 world uh, set regulations with balance of performance. So the cars ha- all meet a set regulation and they're all, and then the racing is inherently competitive. And uh, so it's really cool. And these cars, their front wheel drive, and you can feel that when you're applying power, it's a lot easier to, uh, it's, well, I shouldn't say a lot easier. It is a little bit easier to spin up the inside front wheel um, than it would be on a, on a rear wheel drive car, but not by that much. And when you do spin up that tire, you get understeer, not oversteer. But aside from that, the balance of the Civic was in, impressively neutral and uh, it was just easily drivable. I think the biggest difference between these TCR cars and the GT4 cars, which would be GS, is um, there's, well, I don't even, there's there's not much downforce. And I don't know if there's that much downforce in a GT4 car, but I think, if any, there's less than a TCR car. And uh, both of these classes, including the TCR car, way below GT3 levels of downforce. The GT3 levels of downforce is what you would call real downforce. And what I mean by that is um, downforce that has big differences in the amount of laddering corner, lateral cornering load you can have, braking force you can have between high speed and low speed corners. Whereas the TC car, DCR cars are more subtle. So uh, guide us through what it was like driving this Civic around. You drove around M1? Yeah, so a small racetrack just outside of Detroit. And it's it's one and a half miles, nothing super fast. Were you in a full fire suit or were you in street clothes? Well, it's funny. They asked me, so I, I brought everything. But uh, no, I ended up just being in my helmet. and No clothes at all. That's an odd yep, choice. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I didn't, want, <laughs> I didn't want the Jimmys of the world questioning my shirt. So I just... Uh, Reasonable, yeah. yeah. Uh, Honda, we should talk about that off. Just, just, just so everyone knows, there's a massively overlarged... Stop. I don't even know what it is. This is some. It's it's like a badge of some sort. Instant falsehood to the front of Robin's shirt. I'm not going to say who. I'm just going to say it could it's be, questionable. It could be an iron-on. So it anyway, be glue. it could be iron-on. Back to the topic at hand. Thank you, Jimmy. The um, what was the question? What was it like? Dri- like, give us the experience of driving the car. Like, you're so wearing a helmet. You're bu- 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 you're, bu- bu- you're in. You're 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 climbing over. You're climbing over a big elaborate roll cage. Were, so it has like full door bars. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is a full elaborate. Door. I mean, it's a it's a race, it's a race car. car. Yeah. 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 And you're climbing over a roll cage. It's a lot easier to get on. Get in if you remove the very removable steering wheel, that spring loaded removable mm-hmm. steering wheel, and you. What's the seat situation like? It's a full race seat, but this is it's a good point. It is different. Um, the GT4 car I drove, and definitely GT3 cars, they're almost always bolted to the frame yeah and then the steering in the clutch and the, the steering in the pedal box is what move, 
moves back and yeah. forth. Here, the seat was still adjustable. You had fore and aft adjustment in the seat itself. Um, but the steering wheel did still move, tilt and telescope. And um, otherwise, you had six-point six point racing harness. And once you were in, you were very in. You had a window net on the passenger side. So kind of in the center of the car, there was a big uh, vinyl, not vinyl, but you know, seatbelt material window yeah. net. And then you had two window nets on the outside, on the left-hand side. Double netted. So, you know, the only real, like, race car I've ever gotten to drive was that Miata Cup car at the hill climb, which isn't really a great example. Well, and and your race car. That you own, your rally car. car. That's a rally car. It's a different, it's a different thing. But it's, it's still, it's not made by, you know, Subaru or whatever. You know, it's made by me and some friends. The um that's me and uh some friends some LLC. Friends and, yeah, me me and friends. <laughs> uh so but like the the cup car though, I was really surprised how like really easy it was, you know, and kind of like encouraging. You know, you you do your first run and it's like, "Oh, there's tons of front end grip and there's tons of just grip everywhere. It's a lot of fun and very um it gives you a lot of confidence." Is that kind of what these are like or is it a little more it's nerves to it? Is it the Miata Cup car is unique in how fantastic and drivable it is? Mm-hmm. Um, it really, because a Cup car is a Miata with more grip, right? I mean, really. It, whereas these cars do display some difference in behavior uh-huh. than uh, a Civic Type R, so you you there is more learning. Whereas, I mean, you you can jump into a Cup car and it's just really really good ready to go yeah yeah and i have a feeling that um the honda tcr was great great to drive but if mazda were to build a tcr car i imagine that they would be able to make one that's just as easy to drive and perform at that level as honda does i mean if anyone else could do it mazda so but so but they're relatively because i mean the tcr class is like a really fast growing it's fast growing very popular and relatively let me emphasize relatively because it's a hundred and seventy five thousand dollar car yeah it's relatively cheap so uh the miata cup car that's 55 grand right which is a bargain for a for a factory built race car sure i mean you could buy two different tcr cars for the cost of one 488 pista Right, right, and but that's just it. the The TCR car is still well below right. what a what a lot of other racing costs, and um, the performance capability is quite good, and the drivability is not as good as the Miata yeah. Cup, but it's it's not bad. There's it's not, not it's not like super intimidating. Or, no, or, the the biggest you know. difference really um, is probably you know you have to the suspension's fully customizable, mm-hmm. so again you have to have people that know what those differences are and what they're caused because you can i'm sure you could tune a tcr car to be very difficult to drive if sure. you didn't know what yeah. you were doing yeah. right i mean could you we, could tune could any we, car to be where is it where could we stance it could we make it hella flush <laughs> whereas a cup car you know there's not that much adjustability and what you get from the factory is really good yeah. but you know assuming you have guys that know what they're doing you know it's it's more difficult but not that much more difficult we're not talking about huge levels of downforce but the biggest difference is the the uh, level of tire. The tire that comes on the TCR car is definitely a step up in grip and fussiness. So whenever we got out on the track, the tires were cold. 
and they had you had to warm them up or the slip was weird are those michelin slicks or are they it's yeah michelin slicks is michelin tire challenge so that's what they are but that oh, makes sense but Tough. this this level of michelin tire is stickier than what the miata cup mm. comes with and they're also a little bit wider and uh, so those things play into it but so once the tires warm up though and you get that sense and the tires warm up as long as it's not super cold outside and the track's not super cold. The tires warm up with some moving about, getting some lateral load and some braking load in the tires. And then, you know, performance is, it. You know, the grip is all very predictable. And uh, it's just a blast to drive. You're in a race car and the fact that it's front wheel drive barely shows itself. Now, the uh, real fast, the brakes, are they carbon-carbon? Are they iron rotors? Are they iron rotors, aluminum hats? Are they... They are two-piece... Okay. Two piece, um, and uh, I believe iron, uh, iron yeah. outer. Yeah, but you know, more much more cost effective than carbon carbon or even carbon ceramic. Much more cost effective, and you know, we're not talking about heavy cars. I mean, it totally, it's right around twenty eight hundred pounds, I think, and um, you know, tons of brake for um, tons of brake for that the weight of, of the car yeah. and all those kinds of things. You know, the um. Oh, I'd have to do the quick conversion, but it's 380 millimeter uh, disc brakes. And um, yeah, you, you're, you'd have to do a lot to get fade. Yeah, that's uh, what, uh, 38 centimeters, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you're right about that. It is... Uh, it's about 13 inches. It's around 16 inches. 16 inches? How yeah. many? It's around 16 centimeters inches. around a foot. Well, it's 30. It's 25.4 millimeters per inch. Oh. Okay, so we'll do it in real time. 380 divided by 25.4 equals. Do we? Oh, I'm wrong. 15 in inch. They're 15 inch. 15 inch. Okay, that, yeah. makes, that makes more sense. All right, so the thing stops. The thing stops pretty well. Yes, it stops very well. So then, it, is, so, it is funny, though, the difference in size between the front brake uh, discs and the rear brake discs. That is kind of funny. In fact, because the, um, they're two-piece floating brake discs in front, we have just the outer disc. The, uh, the outer disc will actually fit around the outer disc of the rear brakes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> the uh, So, but who is, who's racing these things, right? There are a few manufacturers, actually a good amount of manufacturers running them now. And then is the rest of the field pretty much filled out with privateers or well, is it just those manufacturers? What's the manufacturers the... are involved in the sense that they're usually selling the cars. Yeah. Um, but... It is generally speaking, private race teams that will have factory support. You know, the car, the car I drove um, earlier this week was owned by. Um, so it's kind of a, it's like a factory manufacturer touring class. Right. Yes. Exactly. I mean, you know, these are spec cars. You know, I, I, like I Brian Herter runs the Veloster ends. Yeah. Exactly right. And uh, you know, I it was the company was called ATL Speedworks, and. Um, and the driver, the actual driver of the car, Todd Lamb, was there to mm. help and support. And uh, and make sure you didn't destroy his car. Yeah, I imagine there was a part of that. And in fact, uh, when I drove the car, I had two stints in the car. And the first time I came around, and this all happened after the checkered flag flew from the first few laps. And big, bright, flashing light saying low fuel pressure, low fuel pressure, oh. low fuel pressure. Yeah. So I said, guys, this happened after the checker. It's not me. Everything's everything's behaving normally. No no other issues. Except the at fuel all. pumps failed. And so turned out to be a connector. Oh, yeah. a t connector went rogue on them, mm. and so they refastened it 
refastened everything. Everything was well after that. Wait, so you should uh, build them for shakedown laps. I I told them I told them uh, that you know they should thank me for exposing issues on their yeah. car. Yeah, absolutely. So he said 175 grand. Um, 172 before options. Okay. One of the things that that are optional on this car is um, navigation. Anti lock brakes. Oh. Well, you can ride ABS and yeah, okay, cool. yeah. So you get it's optional ABS that is has twelve different settings of okay. how much lockup, how little lockup you get. So it's kind of it's kind of like generic anti lock brakes, and then you tune you tune how aggressive it is after the fact. And it's basically the way Todd Lamb, the the owner and racer of the car, described to me. It's basically like rain setting, mm. and then you rain setting dry setting then you can play around <clears throat> excuse me a For little bit from there grip, yeah but yeah that uh, that is the by far the biggest option and that's uh 13 grand oh wow that's uh, yeah and then you know, and then there's like power seats there's under is there undercoating <laughs> you're gonna have to talk to your uh uh sales uh consultant well, local you, to get those yeah, exactly right but uh yeah so you know it out the door if you get all the goodies it's around 200 grand and that's without spares. That's just the car. No, no, that does come with some basic oh, spares. Okay, but okay. it comes with basic spares, but also like the three different differentials. You can come with a, a different different stiffness it springs. Everything to set up spring and, stiffness. So you have different springs yeah. to swap in and out, and uh, other things like that. So and then, you could either buy a four eight eight pista, or be cool and buy a race car and go racing a couple times. You could buy before you get to a pista cuz pistas are like 350. Oh, so okay. you could get you could get the race car and the transporter and probably pay some of the sanctioning, you know, some of the fees yeah. to get in a couple of the yeah. series before you go pista. Yeah. You know, roughly speaking, running a full season. A, well, we already have the I'm transporter. A, I'm a big Jimmy's, believer. Jimmy's got a, a canyon. The yeah. I'm a big believer that that people that buy all of these people that are buying supercars that are like five hundred thousand dollars should actually just be buying race cars. So the um, please don't say that to all because then there wouldn't be supercars for us to drive and review. All the cars, so, are yeah, good. I don't. I don't uh, so, but these I, cars, I don't get to drive. Those. These cars aren't street legal, right? They don't have <laughs> no, 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 okay. no, no, no. They're not street legal in any way. But um, rough, very rough numbers. You know, a full season of IMSA racing a TCR car. Sounds like it's about a half million dollars. That's not too bad uh, for racing. But so if I took, let's say I went up and bought a Civic Type R, right? And I took it to the people who upfit these for racing. Yeah. I could then have a street legal TCR car. Yes, but it would probably cost you a lot more than 175 grand. Take off some landings. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it was a great car, great experience. And I, I can... Because of the closeness of the, it, it's a, it would be great racing to watch, and it has been. You know, and it, it's, you it's know, exceptional racing to watch. Yeah, yeah th- three you, cars wide. Yeah, you talked about it in mid Ohio. It was the it was the four hour event on Friday before the twenty four hours of Daytona. That yeah. was a great race. So yeah, there's just a lot of really good racing going on. So these types of classes give a level of accessibility to racing that is great to keep it going, and um does keep the focus on driver talent as a separator and the cars are very capable and just e- getting easier and easier to drive and by easier i don't mean racing's becoming easier yeah, but i mean it's more accessible but you know not like it's not going to do any weird unpredictable things yeah. whereas old cars may yeah cool
All right, that was Robin. Uh, breaking Ooh, what down. A car. Ooh, ooh, breaking hot down. Dog. Hot dog. We all just sat here in the studio and listened in silence for twenty some minutes while Robin talked about the car. Uh, we are all uh, excited, and uh, I feel like we all grew a little bit as people. So I was there when he talked about it, mm-hmm. and I was we, there when we listened to it. Yep, just now, which and we all did both times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scintillating. Floor. I. I wept the first time. Scintillating. And tears came to my eyes the second time. Scintillating, this guy. Um, uh, but thank you for listening to uh, episode 60. Uh, we will see you again, like I said, for a very special episode 61 next week. And in the meantime, Ooh. do the things. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, download it wherever you can. Give us the big... Uh, reviews and again uh, keep asking us questions we got a, one yeah. question on the docket that we have to answer soon uh, which, which question is that from our old friend Jim who asked us about the Mazda steering wheel yeah what is the question uh, he wants to know about balance performance he wants to explain so I think we can Ooh. get Robin and Mike on here to Ooh, argue about no, that we should find somebody uh, actually knowledgeable no that from could be IMSA? very dry yeah, yeah so we what we need to do is make it fun to listen to so we'll do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll all do our best. as part of uh, think about that one for a, a future episode of hmm. of the pod. But if you have any other questions, seriously, yes, send us. us a question. You want to know how to record a podcast? We don't know. You, you want to know, know how to put together a magazine? You want to know how to keep a car from getting tree damage? Don't know. Still working on that one. <laughs> yep. yeah. You want to know how to rescue a stalled uh, restoration project? Or still working on those? <laughs> get a, a get the Jeep wired correctly. We don't know. We're going to find out. There's no way. We'll find out for you. Yep. Uh, And we will talk to you then.